0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ruth and also Ephesians chapter 4. Also Ephesians chapter 4. Um, you, you ever had one of those... Uh, days from hell you know what I mean I had one of those a couple of weeks back and it started real early in the morning it started real early in the morning not only did it start early in the morning it started early on a Monday morning now y'all have to understand I ain't like y'all right I mean I usually take Mondays off I mean that's so I, I'm, I'm usually not the one that gripes about Mondays, right? But this Monday, uh, my my lovely wife had an MRI on her shoulder, or on her back, I guess it was. But uh, anyway, so she told me on Sunday she goes, "Hey, my uh, my appointment for my MRI is at eight thirty in the morning, and basically it's at I two twenty five in and, and uh, Lincoln. And so for those that don't live here, that's about an hour away with traffic and everything. And so. We got up and, you know, we we leave the house at 7.30 and we get over there and we go in and I immediately go sit down. Cammie walks up to the front and I'm trying to do my social media stuff for Save the Cowboy and everything and and I hear Cammie go, you're kidding me. I was like, oh my gosh, this doesn't sound good. And she goes. Who makes an appointment for an MRI at 8.30 at night? Are y'all serious? (laughs) Oh, great. So I I guess that the appointment was for 8.30 p.m. at Health Images, not 8.30 a.m. But the good news is they put us on a waiting list in case it was a good idea at the time, but now we have to sit by the phone. And you know what Murphy's Law states when you have an appointment at I-25 in Lincoln and you drive all the way back to Kiowa, you know what happens? Exactly right. So I decided to head that Deal off, and so we went to the Fuzzy's Taco Shop. I've been to Fuzzy's Taco Shop, one of my favorite places, right? So we walk in there. Well, now it's about brunch time because you know, breakfast is like you know, six o'clock, and so now by this time it's about nine or nine thirty because we had some other things to do. But I started getting hungry again, it was time for second breakfast, and so I went to Fuzzy's and I'm kind of in a bad mood, but I'm hanging in there really well. Nobody would have known it, right? Because I'm like, God. I'm not going to let this steal my day, right? I'm not going to let it steal my joy. So I go over there and I order my breakfast tacos, but I don't really feel like coffee because I'm all coffeeed out. I don't feel like a soda because it's too early for that. So I want some sweet tea. Fuzzies have sweet tea. I told you I love fuzzies. Except at about 9.30, they don't have sweet tea made. So I'm like, things are not going well for Kevin today. So I turn around and in my best kind voice, I'm like, where's the sweet tea? No, I didn't say that. That's the way I felt inside. And he goes, well, it's right over there. And I'm like, well, it's it's out. There's nothing there. And so I get regular tea and I walk over there and the dude walks over there. I can see him. I'm thinking he's going to make sweet tea, right? He goes over there. He grabs a cup. He sticks it under the sweet tea and eyeballs me and goes, and sweet tea starts to pour out. (laughs) So I threw my cup at him to start off with as a distraction for the throat punch that was coming. Right? No, I didn't do that. I was just like, sorry. (laughs) You want to know the worst thing to do when you're in a bad mood is eat crow, right? Oh my gosh, it's horrible. So we eat our breakfast tacos. So I'm still thinking they're going to call any minute. So I'm trying not to go home yet, right? So I, I tell her, I was like, hey, don't you have some medicine at Walmart you need picked up? She goes, oh, I'm so glad you remembered that. I was like, let's go to Walmart in Elizabeth. So I, stupid, stupid. Stupid. I like Walmart's new deal where you just park and they bring it out to you. <laughs> That's one good thing about technology. But we had to go into the pharmacy. So we walk up there, and I sit down at the blood pressure machine. I know not to stick my arm in there. I know better than that. So I sit down. Cammie walks up. She, she tells them her name and her date of birth, and, and they say something like, that'll be $800. She's like, what? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. She's like, my insur- I've never had to pay for this. We don't have any insurance on file. We've only been doing business there for a year, right? It's like, what do you mean you don't have insurance? So she walks over there. She has to get out of that line, walk to the other line that there's a line. She makes it all the way up to that line. And they say, we need your insurance card. And she turns around and looks at me and says, honey. Now, you know what that means guys, right? You fixing to march your happy boots out there to the parking lot. So she goes, it's in my purse. So I go out there and I get what I think is her purse, right? And I walk back in. I am not having a good day at all. And I hand her the purse. Now, see, my wife is smarter than me. She just basically camps right there in the front of the line and refuses to move. (laughs) So I walk in there, and I'm still having a talk with myself. I'm like, God, everything is just fine. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. These demons ain't going to steal my joy today and i'm not talking about big demons have you ever had one of those days like if your house blows up you just go house blew up because there's nothing you can do about it but i felt like i was being attacked by a herd of lily pushing demons right like death by a thousand cuts so i walk back in and i hand cammy her billfold she goes my other purse (laughs) Mm. not today satan not today so i went man that's a long walk and i went and sat back down at the blood pressure machine (laughs) no i went and got her she went and got her she goes it's okay i'll go get it so she went and got it now because i'm like beat red so we finally get the medicine we walk all the way out to the truck and i said and i don't even remember what it was now i was like didn't you need this she goes oh my gosh yes so we went back into walmart four times in and out of walmart So we finally, I'm like, there's nothing else to do, so let's go home. We get home, and in our rush to make the 8.30 appointment, I had just thrown all of the dogs into the little kennel room. But I had forgot that one of these German wire-haired pointers, they used to have 11 of them, and then we had one of them. And that dog was so used to playing and everything that she was bored. You know what bored dogs do whenever you just throw them in an area? She tore up the $70 dog bed, and that was the least of what she tore up. She, pu- she pulled wood off the wall, all of this stuff, and I lost it. That's when my cool went poop! <laughs> And so I'm telling Ty and Mitch and Blake and Sarah this story during a podcast, and Sarah, or maybe it was before—I don't remember if we were recording at the time—but Sarah said, "Did you, did you get mad at yourself? Like, like you've been doing so good, and then you know you didn't? Did you get mad at yourself?" I said, "No, I was—that was great." I said. I lasted like eight hours before I lost my cool. That was a world record. Usually it's like 30, 40 seconds. And the fact that I made it eight hours, man, I was so proud of myself. You got to, If you can't clap for yourself, nobody else will, right? Look on the bright side. Look on the bright side. Sarah said, did you, did you get mad at yourself for losing your cool? I said, no, I should have been knighted. I mean, I was so proud of myself. I really was. And that sounds like, and I'm not being conceited, but like that is as real life as I can tell y'all, right? Today, we are going to look, we're going to continue our pedigree of a king as we have been going down the lineage of Jesus through Joseph, his earthly father. The All of these things had to happen for him to... Uh, fulfill all the prophecies, Jesus being who I'm talking about. And today we're going to talk about a man named Boaz, B-O-A-Z. And in my study of the man named Boaz, whose story is told in the book of Ruth that's between Judges and Samuel, one word that kept coming up for Boaz was hero. But the thing is, is it He didn't save a child from a pack of alpacas, right? Like he didn't do anything truly what we would necessarily think of as a hero. But it didn't matter what commentary I read. It didn't matter what dictionary of Bible people I looked through. One word kept coming up, hero. He didn't kill a hundred bandits with a quirt. You want to know what Boaz did? That in all the commentaries, through all of Christianity, he was called a hero. And you know what this man did? He married a widow. He married a widow. I think that if that says anything about Boaz, it's not that he's not a hero. It's that he was maybe a quiet hero. So I started thinking about that. What's an illustration for a quiet hero? And I came up with one that I think sets our mind in the right mindset so that we can learn about the life of Boaz, but not just from a historical concept of what he did, but how can we take something from the life of Boaz and apply it to our lives as Christians? Knights. That's a quiet hero, a knight. Because knights live by a code. And it's this code that makes the knight. Because a lot of times when we think of knights, we think of the knight in shining armor. But all of that is, is outward appearance. It's not the armor that makes the knight. It's the code by which he lives by. What do you call a knight in service to God? Well, it's a biblical word. And it's a word that is often mistaken through history. I don't think that biblical definitions change, but the way that, uh, that people use words do, does change after a while. But we have to look at biblical definitions if we're going to have any sort of constancy. No, I, I think, no, constancy's right. Constancy. Thank you. Thank you. I was wondering if anybody's gonna catch that. You know what you you know what the biblical word for a knight in the service of God is? It's called a saint. That is what biblical definition we could apply to is a saint. Now, who are the saints? It's easy to think of like Saint Peter, Saint Mark, Saint John, Saint Luke, Saint Paul. St. Moses, St. David, all of this. The Roman Catholic Church loves saints, and we should love them too. That's not, I, I think it's something that they at least throw the ball towards, okay? And, but the biblical definition of a saint, if we go a little bit deeper, you know what a saint is? A believer in Jesus Christ. The New Testament says that saints are equivocal to God's chosen people, the Gentiles and Jews put together, anybody that has faith in Christ. So, with this downward trend, I want you to know that if you call yourself a believer in Christ, Christ calls you a saint, okay? Now, you may not. Feel like a saint, you might not look like a saint, you may not do what saints do right now, but make no doubt about it. There is only one group of people that will inherit eternal life, and that is saints. That's it. That is all. So if you're not a saint, you're not a Christian. And if we are going to adopt The word is saint. Don't you think that we ought to know how we should act and what we should do and what our goals and ambitions are? Well, they're the same as God's. And I think that God put Boaz, just one little guy, in a long lineage of the Messiah to show us maybe what a quiet saint would look like. Today, I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to tell you what my job is, biblically speaking, so that you can understand the importance of doing your job, okay? Here it is. My job and your job is found in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 11, I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version. It's a little more churchy than what y'all are normally used to, but I love the imagery and I love the words that they use. Let's read it. And he, he being God, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers for this reason. He gave the church, the saints, y'all, right? God gave y'all apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for what reason? To equip the saints for the work of ministry to equip the saints for works of ministry. Now, let me tell you how backwards we've become. In nearly every church in America, and I'm not saying every person, I'm just talking about a stereotypical overarching deal. Nearly every church in America, that's backwards. The congregation tries to equip the pastor for works of ministry, right? But that is not the biblical definition. That is not what uh, God laid out for us clearly in Scripture. It says that God gave us to y'all to equip y'all for works of ministry. It is not your job to tell me what to do. That is God's job. And I answer to him, and I'm held at a higher accountability and standard rate that y'all are, okay, than y'all are. But let's continue. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Right? That's our job is to build it up until, now it gets into y'all's job, until we all, including me, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, let me summarize that for you. Our job, the code that may be, the knight's code, the saint's code that we are to be striving for is unity, unity. Knowledge, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are so many things out there that are vital to the Christian faith that most Christians, I, might I dare say, some of y'all don't even know about. And we'll get into some of that next year because this will take us just right up to the end of the year. But unity, knowledge, mature manhood, and listen, that's not about men, okay? We're, we're not that woke stuff here. We know that God is not talking to man, he's talking about mankind, mature mankindhood, manhood. But the 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 most mature, mature, and finally, measure of stature. We are called to be Christ-like, that's what that means. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To say that not only do we believe in Jesus Christ, but we follow him. We do things the way he taught us to. We love like he and blah, 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 right? That is the code that we live by set forth in scripture and we've all got a part to play in it. I always said, I got, and and this is a joke because I'm still in ministry because I'm part of y'all. But, The the idea that it's some preacher's job to spread the word is part of the deal that I say that most Christians don't even know what they're supposed to do. It's not my job to spread the gospel. It's my job to teach y'all to spread it. And yet so many preachers are let go because nobody's coming to church. (laughs) It's not the preacher's job. It's the preacher's job to teach. To show unity, knowledge, mature, and a measure of stature. It's my job to teach you these things. It's your job to do them. So, how about we get to teaching so y'all can get to doing? Boaz, three things, three or four things that we, depending on how you label things, three or four ways that we can work to achieve unity, knowledge, maturity, and Christ likeness, a measure of stature to the fullness of Christ. The first thing that Boaz did that we can learn, because he's labeled a hero. He's a knight in God's army. He's a saint. He's a believer. And we'll figure that out in just a second. See, Boaz wasn't just somebody, he was somebody. Not a big somebody, but he was a prominent businessman and town leader he was well respected in the community which says something about his integrity which we'll talk about later as well boaz was a prominent businessman and town leader he cared about others he kept his word and he had a keen sense of responsibility and integrity but the code on which we can summarize today's lesson and this is this is the one thing I know I've already thrown a lot of stuff out at you, but I want you to remember one phrase, and keep it in your mind as we continue through this, OK? And here it is. Here it is. Boaz didn't just do what was right. he did it right away. OK? I want you to hold that thought in your mind. Boaz didn't just do what was right. he did it right way. I actually in studying for this message I was actually watching football and somebody dropped a quote during a pregame show that he had heard a coach say and I didn't look it up I probably should have because I don't like using quotes without attribution but here it is. And I'm and I'm kind of paraphrasing it. If it should be done eventually, it should be done now. Okay? If it should be done eventually, it should be done now. Now, I am going to say that because we're all mature, okay? I am not saying to do stupid stuff, okay? If you've never roped something, but eventually you'd like to rope a bull, do not tie your rope onto your saddle horn. Get on your, you know, chestnut mare Mustang rescue, And throw a loop around a bull and see what happens. You're gonna get yourself killed, okay? So, when I say if it should be done eventually, it should be done now, we are talking about mature subjects, not trying to find out if we can come up with some off the wall. It's just a guideline. Like if you know you should read your Bible more, you don't have to wait till January 1st to make a New Year's resolution to read your Bible more. Okay, that's what I'm saying. If you know it should be done eventually, just do it now. Because that's what Boaz was amazing at. If it should be done eventually, he did it now. Boaz didn't just do what was right. He did it right away. First thing is he cared for others. He cared for others. And like, this is such a, an, uh, like, easy just to flow on past, right? Just flow on past as you're reading the Bible. But in Ruth chapter two, verse four, it says this, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted his harvesters. Boaz says, the Lord be with you. And the harvesters replied, the Lord bless you. He was a prominent businessman And the people that worked for him loved him. Man, have you ever worked for a boss like that? That you just, like, he don't wait for you to bring him a cup of coffee. He walks in and sets a cup of coffee down and says, thank you for all your hard work, right? You know, that's the kind of man he was. That's the kind of man that God wants us to be. In today's day and age, I would call that man a saint in compared to the way the world operates, right? Just as simple as this right here, that he cared about others. Well, a few things that we need to know about caring about others is that it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Right? Because a lot of times, man, you're having a bad day, you haven't one of them Mondays, the sweet tea is out. I mean, like, things can get bad in a hurry, right? But three things that we need to understand about caring is that caring is not often convenient. As a matter of fact, when it's less convenient, we need more care, right? Caring is not convenient. Number two, that we need to know about how to care the way God tells us to I think that caring is the active part of love, right? Caring is the verb within love. And and like, I don't really like the word love because we use the same word for Cheetos as Jesus Christ, right? I love Cheetos. I love Jesus Christ, right? Caring is the active part of love because you know what I hear Christians say all the time? Well, I love them, I just don't like them. Did you ever do anything for them? Or was that love just some mystical, like little covering that, that you put on people to make yourself feel better? Well, you know, they're, they're just, they're hard to love. Well, did you try? How many times did you try, right? Caring is the active part of love. And might I say that caring, active caring, is more important than worldly love, Right? Because we pride ourselves as Christians, of, well, I love them, well, I love them, well, I love them, well, I love them, love the sinner, hate the sin, oh, love, 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 but we never do much. Why do you think we started the meat giveaway? Why do you think Ty and, and, and Mitch and Blake and, and, and all of these people, everything that we do is about caring for people? And caring is not convenient. Care is the active part of love. I don't want to be a love in name only any more than I want to be a cowboy hat in name or a cowboy in dress only. Care is the active part of love. But you know what? Caring is tough. And I want to give you a good boundary for the active part of care. Because just as I don't think we show enough care Sometimes we show too much care and a good, healthy boundary in how much you should care for somebody is this right here. I'm not saying it's the gold standard. It's just a general direction if you're wondering. Okay, here it is. You can't actively care for somebody beyond the responsibility you have in the matter. In other words, I could care about what Ty does with his time alone at night, but I can't be there every night to be sure, I can't tell Ty what to do, right? I can care about what he does, but I'm not gonna take responsibility beyond my authority level, okay? I can go right up next to it, I can talk, I can do all of this stuff, but I can't take responsibility beyond the authority i have in a level and i see too many times that people that get hurt from caring too much is because they took the responsibility level above their authority level and then you're just spinning your tires, okay? That's like whenever you're driving along one of these good old Elbert County roads and your tires start to spin and you start losing traction. That's the part that your tires start slipping is when you take responsibility. Now you can still love and care, but don't take heart responsibility above your authority level, okay? How do you, why do you think Jesus allowed people just to go off without him? Because he gave them a choice, and he wasn't going to go above that choice and make somebody do something. He gave them a choice. He still cared. He actively cared, but he didn't take responsibility for things that weren't his stuff. Okay? So, what does a knight, saint in God's kingdom do? Well, they care about others. And they care well. Okay? The second thing that boaz did that we can learn about what it's like to be a knight in god's service a knight saint right what was something that he did well he kept his word and in ruth chapter 2 verse 14 it says this at mealtime boaz called to her come over here and help yourself to some food You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz. Once again, he's still feeding his people, right? So there's this widow that comes up. And and I need to tell you about uh, Old Testament times. In Old Testament times, if you were a farmer, you had to leave a corner of your field because there was no social security. There was no welfare, okay? So in Old Testament law, you had to leave a corner of your field For the poor also you could make one pass through the field only one pass through the field anything that was not ripe or left over was for the poor okay that was their social justice system so when this widow comes into boaz's field to pick he basically tells the harvesters because she's kind of a pretty girl he's like hey man y'all he goes up and says hey I've reserved this area for you to glean from. That's what it's called. I've reserved this area for you to glean from. And I've told the harvesters not to mess with you. But I want you to have food to eat. As a result, not only can you pick off this, some of the stuff that we've already picked, I'm going to leave at the end of the row for you. Not only did he do that, but halfway through the day, he invites her to sit down and eat the meal that he's prepared for his workers. Because he told her, I don't want you to leave here hungry. Now she thought he was just talking about harvesting food. He went further because he cared. In the, at mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. See, Boaz kept his word and he went above and beyond too. One of the most Christ-like things you can do, because remember, we're, we're going by the Ephesians 4 model, that our job is unity, knowledge, mature maturity, and measure of stature. Keeping your word fits all of those, okay? Keeping your word. One of the most Christ-like things you can do is keep your word. One of the most qu- noticeable qualities in someone that can keep their word is that they know how to care for others i mean it, those two things go hand in hand these things this unity knowledge maturity and Christ-likeness, they're all it, it's hard to do one without it bleeding over into the next keeping your word he did what he said he would do you know what else you know why it's important to keep your word and you've heard me say this unless it's your first time here or you weren't paying attention So I'm sure everybody here has heard this and has taken it to heart. I always say the number one reason that you should keep your word is if if you do keep your word, you'll quit giving it out like candy, right? If you did everything you said you would do, you would quit telling people you'd do all of that, wouldn't you? Because, I mean, now we have this, like, parade mentality here here's my word for you here's my word for you You you're just throwing candy at parades and we don't do none of it that's not what god has called us to do i mean if we're going to be knights if we're going to be saints saints do what they say that they'll do boaz was called a hero for it and lastly he had a keen sense of responsibility he had a keen sense of responsibility in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, says this. Now, don't worry about a thing. He's talking to the girl that was picking all the grain. Now, don't worry about a thing. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Now, don't worry about a thing. I will do what is necessary. What was necessary? Real quick, we're talking about Old Testament times. Boaz is kin to this girl's mother-in-law through marriage, okay? And this mother-in-law is a widow. The girl he's helping is a widow. They don't have anybody. Being a widow in Old Testament times was not a pretty sight. But she had some land, the mother-in-law did. She had some land that she wanted to sell. So her closest kinfolk to her husband, her dead husband, lived there. And so by old testament law, he had first right of refusal to buy the land. Okay? So what Boaz did when he said, I will do what is necessary. I will go to the town, basically the town council, the town the front gate where all the leaders sat, and he said, I'll talk to your kinfolk about buying the land for you. So they said, okay. So they go, and he calls this meeting, and he's a, you know, he tells this one guy, the guy's name was Helmut, and um, <laughs> that took me a while to learn that. And uh, so he tells this guy, he's like, uh, hey, man, Naomi, your, your, her husband was so-and-so, and he was like a cousin of yours, but you're the closest relative, and he's dead, and her sons are dead. So uh, do you want to buy this piece of land? And he goes, yeah, I'll buy it. But see, there was more to it than that because because Naomi's husband had died and even though they had a son, the son had died without any heirs. So because of the Old Testament law, if this kinfolk bought the land, then he would have to marry the daughter-in-law to help continue that line because they didn't have any heirs. Well, this guy already had heirs. So if he brought this daughter-in-law into his household, basically he would have to marry her and have kids. Well, his kid's inheritance would be split, and he didn't want to do that. So Boaz says, hey, man, if you're going to buy the land, remember, you've got to marry this chick over here because, you know, the line in the Old Testament law, and the guy was like, oh, yep, you're right. Nope, I don't want the land anymore. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> well... Here's a crazy Old Testament deal. Anytime a transaction was made, you didn't shake hands, you gave somebody your shoe. I'm not kidding, go read it. The guy takes his shoe off and hands it to Boaz and says, nope, you can have it. (laughs) You can have my shoe and the chick. And so he does, and he marries her, and it's great because he didn't have any kids. See, a night saint goes above and beyond what the world calls for because you know what? here's the deal all he had said he would do was talk to the guy you know what could have happened you know what the bible kind of infers what was going on here is that everybody knew the rules and everybody was going to see if somebody mentioned it right because i mean taking some responsibility for somebody in old testament times is big deal right and so All he had said is, I'll talk to your kinfolk about buying the land. He didn't say anything about marrying. He went above and beyond. And here's the thing. When we think about a sense of responsibility, of not just doing the right thing, but doing the right thing right away, what the world calls going above and beyond is basically what God just calls doing the right thing. The right thing in God's kingdom by the saints is above and beyond what the world would do because the world, even the best in the world would have done that. But they would have stopped there. See, we're called to something greater. We're called to not just go here. We're called to go here. Jesus even said, he said, man, if somebody makes you carry their pack for one mile, what did he say? Carry it for two. If somebody asks for the cloak off your back, give them your cloak and your tunic. Go above and beyond. That's what God wants. That's why we're called knights. That's why we're called saints, because we do what nobody else will do, unfortunately. I think that Christianity, a lot of times, instead of doing what needs to be, doing things right and doing it right away, I think what we do... As we go for the participation eternity trophy. Let's do the minimum amount so that we can pat ourselves in the back and say, well, I did everything I could, right? That's not a knight, that's not a saint. That is not reaching unity, knowledge, mature manhood, measure of stature. Going above and beyond does those things doing what is right keeping your word caring about others and a knight saint does what is right not what is easy it is the very essence of what separates them from normal people and it is the essence that you should be separating yourself from the world it's to live by a code i mean a knight isn't necessarily somebody rides a horse and wears armor a knight is somebody that lives by a code it is, it is his identity and our Christian identity, our sainthood should be the code that we live by. Why is all this important? Because in 1 Peter chapter two, verse nine, this is what Peter says. And you know who he's talking to? He's talking to you. Listen, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. His own special People, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You are a chosen generation. Start acting like it. You are a royal priesthood. You are a royal knighthood. You are a royal brotherhood. Start acting like it. You, by His calling, not mine, are His own special people, it's time that we all started acting like it.